You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the RSA Conference podcast. I'm Hugh Thompson, Program Committee Chair for RSA Conference, and I am happy to be joined today by my co-host, Britta Glade, Director of Content and Curation. Hey, Britta, how are you? I am great, and it's good to be here, as always, with you, Hugh. And I'm really excited about today's topic. As as you and I have looked at trends and what drives traffic at RSA Conference and what are people talking about, there is a common denominator in the NIST cybersecurity framework. Um, And, you know, as you and I were talking, and interestingly, our very first podcast that we did with Bobby Stempfley and Jim Rouse, we talked about it then. It came up, and, and it continues to be something of such great interest. So we've got an amazing guest with us today um, that we are excited to dig into what is the cybersecurity framework, how are people applying it, what's on the horizon with it, and you know what is it about this that makes our practitioners so eager to share what they're doing and and it brings all those people into the sessions. So um, this is going to be good stuff today. Uh, without further ado, our guest today is Matt Barrett. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. And Matt, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. I'm the Program Manager for the Framework for Improving Critical Infrastructure Cybersecurity, or Cybersecurity Framework, at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Matt, it's so great to have you here. You know, it is amazing to see how the cybersecurity framework really has been widely embraced, not just inside of government, but outside too. You know, Britta talked about the interest at RSA conference, which has just gone up and up over the last couple of years. But I wanted to start off just by asking you some background. I think many of our listeners may not be familiar with the background of NIST itself, and then I'm going to ask you about the formation of the group that led to the cybersecurity framework. But tell us tell us a little bit about NIST and the role it plays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, NIST has its origins in an organization called the National Bureau of Standards, which was formed in 1901. Um, and in 1988, we were actually renamed the National Institute of Standards and Technology to better express our um, our, uh, our charter, the way, the way that we do things, the technology, the longer-term research and development sort of focus that we have, and also some of the standardization and the guidance thereof uh, that are a part of the way that we do our work. We've been doing cybersecurity things since the 1970s. Some of that began with uh, things like the Diffie-Hellman encryption algorithm, uh, and nowadays uh, kind of in, innumerable number of uh, projects within our cybersecurity portfolio in the larger IT laboratory. Uh, one thing of note uh, for listeners is that NIST is a part of the United States Department of Commerce, and so as, as such, we have um, charter to help our public sector um, colleagues uh, in the U.S. federal government and in other levels of government, and we also have um, uh, remit to face off with private sector and help private sector in various ways. Yeah, I mean, NIST has had such an incredible impact over the years. You know, you you mentioned the government charter first and then the, the, the private charter second, but 
you know, if I think about some of the biggest frameworks that we've seen, not not just in cybersecurity, of course, but in all sorts of things, uh, a lot of it's or, originated at NIST. And so I'm, I'm curious about this cybersecurity framework. How did how did this come to be? What was the what was a set of of discussions or events that led to this, and and how did it first get formulated? Yeah, well, our original um, challenge to develop a framework for improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity originated from uh, an executive order uh, by that name, Executive Order thirteen six thirty six from the Obama administration. That was all around. Um, improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity. And so there were a number of sections in that document and the tasking, as, as you do have in executive orders, tasking the various agencies um, in, in an effort to improve critical infrastructure cybersecurity. NIST got some tasking to actually develop this framework, and that was to be done in coordination with certain other uh, federal agencies like Department of Homeland Security, like the National Security Agency. So a quick question that I want to insert there. So you've got great participation from private sector, public sector. It sounds like the body of that stakeholder group maybe changes um, over time. What is the process for people providing input for, you know, creating a standard, which back to 1901 when the standards group um, or the standards activity started is interesting, but how, how does this group change? Who, who contributes and how? Yeah, so the, the original uh, charter from Executor 13-636 was to help private sector owners, operators of critical infrastructure. And later on, uh, there's that same charter was written into law in the Cybersecurity Enhancement Act of 2014. So that, that same charter, that same stakeholder group is explicitly named in in the law, and that remains uh, our primary focus for the cybersecurity framework. So it's amazing. I mean, the security space changes all the time. We we, we live and breathe at, at, at RSA conference for sure, and I've got to imagine that um, that this is a huge challenge and opportunity for you with the cybersecurity framework. Uh, what things have you introduced into that framework recently? So talk to me about the, the process of how this stays to be uh, you know, a living, breathing set of standards for the, the threats that we face. And then uh, I'd be really, really interested to know the things that you've, you've done recently and why. Yeah, yeah, the process also speaks somewhat to the second half of Britta's question, um, which is around how we engage uh, our stakeholder group. Uh, really, um, what started as, in that initial development is was five different workshops in five different cities, and and there was an RFI, and there was a publication of a draft framework and a request for comment on that. Um, and there are a great many, along the way, there are a great many facilitated group discussion. So all of that kind of equals an aggregate in engagement model. Uh, for instance, still to this day in developing uh, the proposed update or, or now it is version 1.1 of framework, we have this concept of facilitated group discussions that happens at our conferences every year. Uh, in fact, to date I was tallying up that we may have had as, as many as 
uh, uh, certainly over 100, maybe as many as 150 um, facilitated group discussions along the way. And so these are kind of top, focused on a topic, an objective facilitator, keeping a group of people, a relatively small group of people, uh, processing a given topic. And so this is a way of, for instance, following up on a written response, a formal and written response to a request for information or request to, uh, request for comment um, uh, commentary. This is a way of following up, making sure that we heard our stakeholders right, and actually expounding on getting more information about the comments that were made in that in that written format. And so, in that respect, respect we have a really good uh, not only way to uh, talk things out, but a way to make sure that we heard things correctly, and then we can go and write those uh, things into framework in appropriate ways. So, Matt, it was interesting. Um, it was either this year or year before last, Hugh and I always do trends. We look at trends that come through with the submissions, and one of the um, quote-unquote buzzwords that we've noted was frameworks. There were all kinds of frameworks, a framework for just about everything. And, and frameworks serve a very important purpose, um, but sometimes some people will think a framework is really more about a, um, an underlying marketing goal. CSF isn't like that. We've, we've seen so many people eager to talk about their application, what they've done with it, what it's protected them against. Um, how, how is it that you can keep this relevant? When attacks happen, what do you do to say, you know, to litmus test, would we, wouldn't we have um, protected or assisted an implementer of CSF if they had used it? Talk to me a little bit about how you make sure it's current and really relevant in what's happening at any given time in cybersecurity. Yeah, well, besides asking uh, our, our really broad and diverse stakeholder group, right, and that just leads to so many different uh, observations about what is meaningful. Besides that sort of mechanism, we certainly hold the framework up to various um, uh, attacks that happen, you know, your popular attacks you might hear about in the media, like a wanna cry or what have you. We hold a framework up to those circumstances and we ask ourselves, would that have helped? Uh, what specifically, what function, what category, what subcategory of framework would have helped in this instance? Um, in other words, if a, if a party was using framework, and hopefully using framework, by the way, to make the right decisions, because it is possible to use it in the wrong way, but using it to make the right decisions for their enterprise, would it have helped them out? So um, we actually, over time, uh, in, in all the instances where we've done that check, we always get back the answer, yes, it would have helped. And in instances uh, along the way where our stakeholders have observed uh, gaps, for instance, in the proposed update, our stakeholders said, hey, we really think you should give more explicit treatment to authentication and identity proofing as, as a part of the larger identity management. So in that instance where our, our stakeholders have an observation, we also address those sorts of things. And in fact, we, we now have subcategories for those as steered by our stakeholder group. You know, Matt, I was, I was curious about future-leaning things. Right? So it's, you know, it's one thing to take, say, want to cry, not pat you, those kinds of things, and say, how did the framework hold up? Or even think about this uh, this vulnerability in struts that hit uh, 
at a couple of very prominent uh, prominent companies and ask, you know, geez, did we have the the right cadence of um, of patching and patch management controls in the framework? But I'm curious about things that that sit on the horizon, like some of the discussions we've had at RSA conference, particularly over the last two years, are, are things like. You know, how quickly will quantum computing advance? And you know, if if there is some sudden uh, sudden push forward in quantum computing, and now we have to, you know, be a little bit concerned about the factoring of prime numbers, um, how, how quickly can we move to quantum safe algorithms? And how do you think about those kinds of things that are you know, that are on the horizon? You know, probably not something that you'd say. Is bread and butter today that everybody should have quantum safe algorithms, but I'm just curious how you think about dealing with those those future state issues. Yeah, I mean several things to share on that front. I mean one of the one of the updates we made in the uh version one dot one of framework is we um expressed the applicability of framework across many technologies. Uh, it, it's, it is applicable for information technology, operational technology, industrial control systems, cyber physical systems, Internet of Things. Uh, we are purposely architecting it to make it so. So not only were we express, expressing applicability, but there's a bit of a design criteria that we've written in to the document, right? This is a standard to which we hold ourselves. So what you tend not to find in framework is you tend not to find, um, you know, that catalog of outcomes that is the core. You tend not to find a specific technology referenced. You won't find the word cloud, for instance, in the core, uh, or you won't find a specific uh, address of uh, uh, bring your own device or, or or what have you. What we're trying to do there is make something that is. Uh, applicable across many technologies, and in that respect, it has a bit of a timeless sort of property to it, not that it can't be adjusted over time, it just is uh, more lasting over time. And so another way of saying all that is cybersecurity framework is really the what, it's the set of outcomes, it's meant to spur on discussion, and if and when you need to pivot into a more substantive or more specific treatment, you typically need to pivot into additional guidance. And that's the whole reason that we had this thing called informative references to begin with. It was a way of pointing to other uh, documents that were broadly used in critical infrastructure and had the similar, also had a similar breadth as cybersecurity framework uh, that would tend to give a little bit more of an in-depth treatment on a specific technology, uh, for instance. And you know something that you said um, about uh, IoT and uh, industrial control systems. There's a, a, an interesting trend we, we've seen it play out through the lens of the conference, and then of course in the industry, there seems to be a, a move, particularly in the last year and a half, for security of those systems, even inside of um, of private companies moving into the remit of the chief security officer, where in the past they, they might have been in facilities or they might have been um, you know, in physical security, but we're seeing sort of that physical security group move into the cybersecurity group or, or kind of all be, um, all be tied up together. 
how are you, what kind of feedback are you getting from folks in the private sector around CSF helping them think about and deal with what is a completely different world for uh, for a whole bunch of these folks uh, around uh, around those control systems and securing those control systems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things there that that uh, are relevant too, and maybe even precipitating some of that dialogue. I mean, for instance, having a vocabulary that we can get our arms around. We, all of us, right? Identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. The way we use these words in cybersecurity risk management is roughly equivalent to the way we use these words in larger risk management is roughly equivalent to dictionary definitions of these words, right? In other words, it's intuitive, and you don't have to be a subject matter expert in order to understand those five words. That's driven a certain dialogue amongst amongst, uh, directors and officers and executives that – that was more difficult to have before cybersecurity framework. So that's one of the reasons why I think there's a a bit more awareness and understanding of how uh, that echelon of folk uh, are affected by cybersecurity and how they affect cybersecurity. And I think there's also, along with that, comes the epiphany that, hey, these five words uh, that are uh, really, we could articulate a general risk strategy or a risk policy uh, using these five words. Um, it, it drives that wonder of why we aren't better integrated on all the things that need to uh, that are beholden to that risk strategy. That's interesting. We've we've had a lot of sessions at conference not CSF-related, but related to the vernacular and how we often talk past each other or the business people have a challenge talking with the tech people or the security people with the engineers and such, and just that that arriving at a, a normalization of words for the dialogue. Um, it's interesting how when we're using the same words with the same definitions, we can have a different kind of conversation. Somewhat akin to that, verticals sometimes look at things completely differently. Clearly, they have different challenges. Clearly, they have different risks that are are drivers. How do you address vertical industry-specific challenges where they have totally different goals or totally different ways of looking at risks, and what does the framework do for them? Yeah, I mean, so that's a really interesting question. I mean, they do have different goals, different objectives, different business uh, drivers, et cetera, but, but oftentimes they have interdependencies on each other. And so that's where uh, having that common language is once again incredibly value, it, valuable. It brings a, a greater precision and efficiency to communication, not only inside of an organization, but across organizations and across sectors. So that's why we recommend it highly, even though it's not specialized to financial services or to uh, health care or to energy. Even though it's not specialized to those industries, we still recommend it highly because those industries need to talk with each other. Uh, they need to be able to express risk and, and arrive at trust so they can have uh, the business transactions they need to have. 
Certainly. Let me ask you a last question for me. I mean, this is this has been absolutely fascinating, and like Britta said, we're seeing the cybersecurity framework show up everywhere. You know, one interesting place that that I saw it recently, um, it was in uh, an SLA that was going to um, to a third party. Right? You talk about supply chain, and then sort of taking these things all the way down through the supply chain to your partners. And we're seeing more and more folks use the cybersecurity framework as kind of the reference point to have a discussion with them around their own security controls and their risk management. There's a lot of people that I'm sure that are listening to this that have had exposure to the CSF that are probably asking themselves, you know, how do they get more involved? Like they may have some direct input that they want to give. They may want to just understand how they keep current on it because it's becoming such a big part of their lives. Where, where should they go? Is it is it the annual conference? What's, what's the best way for them to think about engaging with you? So a couple, a couple of ways to engage. First of all, um, our, the framework website, nist.gov slash cyberframework, is very, very rich. We purposely have tried to architect it to be a uh, rich set of resources for our stakeholders, and so that is highly recommended as a place to go, whether you're deciding whether to use framework or whether you're using framework and you want to learn uh, from others how they've used framework, maybe get some tips and tricks that way. Uh, when you, whether you want to learn more, we have online learning at the website. So the website itself, highly recommended. We also have at that website a party can uh, sign up for uh, the, the mailing list, which is not um, – uh, we're not going to spam you to death, we promise, right? We try to be uh, kind of judicious about our – our outreach, but we do use that to uh, help our stakeholders understand when key events have happened, for instance, a document being released, or when key events will happen soon, for instance, the upcoming NIST Cybersecurity Risk Management Conference. That conference is, uh, our conference nowadays is an annual heartbeat sort of conference. That's our, that's the way we've done this in the past, and that's the way we intend to do it in the in the future. Um, so, for instance, this coming November, November 7th through 9th, there will be a cybersecurity risk management conference hosted by NIST. It will be in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, that This is a, a great time to go ahead and mark that in the calendars. And we're actually opening registration, we believe, in the upcoming couple of, of weeks. So, uh, once again, coming back to NIST.gov slash cyberframework, uh, you'll be able to see when that registration link goes live. Super. And my, my final question, I always like to, I know it's hard to look in the crystal ball, um, but you've got such good organization and, and such good input around this. For our listeners, what do you expect to see from the framework team in the coming months? Yeah, um, there's lots of really exciting stuff happening here. I mean, I mentioned earlier um, informative references as a concept, right? These are things that pair well with framework is a simple way to say it. Well, we, we've, we're going online with that. We want to build an online catalog. In fact, we already have a template out there for building out that catalog, and we already have a technical specification for filling out that template, and we're, we've started to work with some pilot participants to build the initial catalog. And so that's something we're going to be focused on. Uh, 
we recently released uh, something called Success Stories. These are two-page vignettes of parties and how they've used framework and what sort of benefits they have received. And we're starting with uh, some folks who have uh, historically uh, have published their own case studies. Uh, University of Chicago, University of Pittsburgh, Intel have all published case studies in the past. We're actually working with them to get their two-page vignettes out there, and we'd love to see uh, greater participation. Uh, uh, nothing speaks better to frameworks use and what's working and what's not working, uh, how it needs to be adjusted, etc. Nothing speaks better to that than um, a success story. So that's something we're going to focus on as well. We're finalizing the roadmap for improving critical infrastructure cybersecurity. So that's something that's coming, um, uh, I believe, at the pace we're going. Summer of 2018 is a safe, safe way to express that. We're also working on our NIST Interagency Report 8170, which speaks to how federal agencies might employ the cybersecurity framework. Uh, and that will be finalized in the summer. And then one other thing that's happening this summer, kind of a jam-packed summer for us, uh, is a Spanish-language translation of cybersecurity framework. $668 billion of our gross national product attributable to Hispanic-speaking organizations. It's the second most spoken language in the United States. Um, and uh, we certainly think that demographic deserves uh, some, uh, some uh, treatment, some help. Uh, and so we are actually translating the cybersecurity framework, and we're going to publish that as a work product as well. Fantastic. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, and just congratulations on the success of, of CSF. It's been great to hear about just how you're thinking around the future and how you're thinking about the engagement with the community with CSF. It's becoming so fundamental now in the in the industry. You know, the good and bad things come with success. So I'm sure you'll be very, very busy uh in the in the months and years to come. But thanks thanks so much for taking the time and thanks so much to our listeners for joining in and we look forward to seeing you on the next podcast.